Hey, Keith, did you hear? Uh, they had the blue carpet premiere for Star Trek Discovery this week, and some web outlet proclaimed Sadiqa Martin-Green as the first black lead on a Star Trek show. The first black lead on a Star Trek show? Have they forgotten about Deep Space Nine? What about Avery Brooks? Uh, I'd like to forget about him for sure. The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. They bought their tickets. They knew what they were getting into. I say, let them crash. Geek Counter Geek with Chief Conrad and Elliot Serrato. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. I'd just like to say, get a life. You're Starfleet officers. Now start acting like it. Geek Counter Geek number 99, just one away from uh, triple digits, if you could believe it. I'm Keith Conrad, that's Elliot Serrano, at Keith R. Conrad on Twitter, at Elliot Serrano on Twitter. Plus, you can follow the show at Geek Counter Geek and Facebook.com slash Geek Counter Geek. Elliot, I know that, that you've had your concerns about Star Trek Discovery, and, and really, I have too, frankly. But, uh, you know, we're only a few days away. I mean, you got to be a little bit excited, right? Well, yeah. Um, there's been, of course, the, the constant PR snafus that keep uh, occurring with this show. Uh, the episode, the pilot episode itself, was not released to critics for screening. Um, Which is never a good review. sign. Yeah, there, there's an embargo on any reviews until the actual uh, premiere, until the air date. And yeah, and not a good sign. But then, uh, who you know, here's my thing. Let's say um, you see the premiere of Star Trek Discovery and you go, oh, my God, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. It sucked. It's horrible. How many people are actually going to go, I don't care what you say. I'm going to watch it anyway. So really, there's no point in reviewing it. You know, that, that's very true. You know, like, why do a review of a Star Wars movie when it comes out? Because people are going to go see it. it, it yeah, really these matter. things are review-proof, right? You know, even on Rotten, uh, unless it's a Rotten, even a Rotten Tomatoes thing. You're going to have that opening weekend, you know, for a movie. And it, it, in most cases, it makes its bank then or not. And then, um, but and something like a television show, again, like Discovery, because it's going to be on the app and on demand. Um, you know, I don't know how ratings apply to something like that, at least not on a premiere night. You know, it's going to be something that you're going to want to see over the test of time. And my guess, too, is you're going to have some folks who are just going to wait until all the episodes are out and then binge watch the whole thing. Um, I don't know of many shows that do the episodic uh, weekly releases. The last one to do that that I can recall was uh, the Twin Peaks uh, uh, revival on Netflix, where David Lynch didn't release all the episodes at once. You had to tune in each week. Well, Netflix on on, on their original stuff, um, you know, like the the higher profile stuff has been uh, just released all at once, and uh, you know th there have been a lot of other projects, like especially uh, some of the the children's programming that they've done. They do that on a week to week basis, um, so so it's not totally unheard of. But you know, I it, it's it, it's interesting because. You know, as 
as you said, I think people are going, there's going to be a lot of people, no matter how they decide to roll it out. I mean, eventually you're going to have a block of episodes that's done, you know? So at that point, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to, uh, you know, sign up for CBS All Access, uh, you know, for one month or do a trial or something like that, watch all the episodes and that'll be it. So, you know, I don't think you're, you're going to be able to out, outsmart the audience in that way. But, you know, the, the one thing that I'm, I'm kind of interested in, you know, to see, because obviously CBS is trying to get people to subscribe to this network. They've already said that Discovery is a serialized show. You know, it's telling one story at the very least over the course of the first season, but it might be beyond that. Um, and so to me, it'll be interesting to see if the first episode, since that's being actually aired on the Mothership Network, is that going to be somewhat of a complete story by itself or is it going to be a total cliffhanger so that people, you know, who are watching it will hopefully want to watch the, uh, watch the rest of the series. Oh, you will hear lots of people complaining if that's what they do, you know? Um, and, and here's the thing too. The pilot generally is not the strongest episode of a series. So even as much work as you put into it, the show doesn't really find itself until, you know, a few episodes in. So, if you're counting on that one episode being the thing that draws folks in cliffhanger or not, it better be a darn good episode. Yeah. You know, what's the worst is when they do a, a pilot episode, uh, but then they, they shoot the follow on episodes, you know, like several months later. So everybody's hair looks different. They're wearing different clothing. <laughs> it's yeah. just, it's just horrible. Usually that's only a problem you see on sitcoms, but nonetheless, that that's an issue. Yeah. So, I, uh, uh, again, I have I have reservations about it. This is um, the other thing, too, again, that's been revisited time and time again is the whole thing about the look of the show, uh, the, the, the main character's relationship, the Spock, all these things that just tend to speak of a general um, – I don't know, just not a whole lot of familiarity with the overall Star Trek uh, mythos and canon. Uh, there are a lot of things going on that they're like, uh, yeah, like, again, back to the to the bit in our cold open where, you know, oh, yeah, we're, we're doing um, we're, we're, we're being progressive here. We're, we're casting minorities and we're casting people of color and, and we're casting a woman as a captain. And it's like, well, you already did a woman as a captain with Jane Wayne Voyager. You even had Tuvok. He was your first black Vulcan. You know, um, you had all this stuff going on where it's some folks are trying to say if Discovery is the first to ever do it. When in reality, they haven't. I mean, Michelle Yeoh isn't even the first Asian captain in Star Trek. That would be Sulu. You know? I, I think that uh, I, I think they have the first gay couple on a on a on a Star Trek uh, TV series. So that, that that technically would be a, a first. But you know, even even that with everything they were doing, doesn't that feel kind of like you're just sort of like checking boxes at this point? 
Yeah, and I'm, uh, I'm starting to sound like one of those people who lament about this SJW diversity stuff going on in Star Trek. Where I'm not. I'm, I'm saying I, I think it's great. Don't get me wrong. I think it's great. And what they're doing with Star Trek in trying to be progressive is awesome. And if, if I watch a show and I go, oh, you know what? That is very cool the way they did that. Or, oh, I never considered that. And wow, that's a great new take on that. You know, seriously, I hope that's the experience I have watching the show. But again, back to the PR about it and then promoting it from the very beginning. It's just been toe stub after toe stub after toe stub all along the way. And I just hope that the show like kind of like sloughs all that off and just gets to be something fun and interesting and different and good. I mean, come on. I mean, I, I'm, I, I was I was put in my place when I spent how much time complaining about Star Trek Beyond and how there's no way the director of Fast and Furious was going to give me a decent <laughs> Star Trek movie, and, and I ended up loving it. <laughs> well, 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 you're not the only one, because I believe that my exact words on this podcast after the second trailer came out, or maybe it was... You know, whichever one was the final one, you know, the second or the final one was, mm. you know, if they've got a story in this movie, they've certainly done a good job of hiding it. <laughs> we see. And yeah, they did. And that's actually kind of like what you want to do, right? With your trailer, you don't want to give everything away. So, um, yeah. And I, and I remember seeing Star Trek Beyond and going, this is possibly, it was like my favorite of all the Star Trek movies, you know? Yeah, I, like, I yeah. saw it with a friend who is actually like a, a, a Star Wars fan who's, who's only a Star Wars fan. And uh, for for some reason, they agreed to go with uh, with me to uh, to see this movie. And at the end, they were like, "I actually like that. That's the first <laughs> Star Trek thing I liked." Yes, yeah, so it was it was the moment when Chris Pine became Captain Kirk. Yeah. So, well, hopefully yeah. they'll get a fourth one in there. Yeah, we'll see. There's been talk about it, but it didn't do as well. So, you know, again, back to discovery. I know it's, it's, this is the, this is the age of social media when people can talk about things and pass judgment on things without even seeing them. I don't want to be one of those people. I'm going to give it a chance and I'm hoping for the best. Uh, you know, I, what, one thing that has also, uh, you know, one, uh, one fil franchise that has also been stepping on rakes lately has been uh, Star Wars. Uh, <laughs> It's like the episode of The Simpsons where Sideshow Bob just keeps boom, one, boom, and another. Because they have been doing nothing but that. And, uh, uh, so, so, I mean, really, it hasn't been anything other than the directors. I mean, you know, they, they just, they just, for the, the, the direct, a Star Wars director at this point is like the drummer on Spinal Tap. They just, they just can't keep up with them. They, they still haven't found Josh Trank. I don't even know where Josh Trank is. No. So uh, Colin Trevorrow's out. We, we already knew that, obviously. And, and, you know, there was a lot of speculation about who was going to uh, replace him. You know, maybe the first uh, woman Star Wars director. In the end, um, I don't know that. Yeah, I predicted that it was going to be Ron Howard uh, because, you know, now he's just going to be the guy that comes in and directs all the Star Wars movies. Uh, but uh, it ended up being J.J. Abrams again. And I have to tell you, uh, 
I have concerns about that, and I have a feeling they may be uh, concerns that are similar to ones that you would have. Uh, if J.J. Abrams has uh, proven anything over the course of his career up to this point, it's that he's very good at, like, world building. Like, he, he creates, like, an interesting scenario. Uh, but actually coming to a conclusion with said scenario seems to be what, what, what he's lacking. I mean, you can look at, uh, at Felicity, Alias, Lost. Is there anything that he's done where people have gone, yes, that was the ending he should have had? <laughs> but, but the other thing, too, is like, what are the things that he's actually brought to a conclusion? Because I'm not sure if he was on the show, um, if he was on Felicity near the end, or even Alias. I mean, at the time, as Alias was drawing to a close, he was, of course, doing all these other things and had a team in charge of it. And Lost, especially. Lost, he helped set it off, but then it became uh, Damon Lindelof's baby, and that, you know, we, we all know how I feel about Damon Lindelof. Um, oh, you're, so, you're BFFs. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, so the thing with, um, yeah, I do have some concerns about J.J. Abrams doing the last one. I mean, it's a safe, it's the safe choice. Uh, the difference, though, I think in this case is, as a lot of folks know, with the beginning of The Force Awakens, that was like a kind of a haphazard start, stop, start, stop, you know, um, uh, getting the movie done. They didn't even have a complete script when they started shooting. So you, you have all these, um, these stories of JJ Abrams and Lawrence Kasdan, you know, on the set talking to each other and writing and rewriting scenes over and over again. And then there came the, the Harrison Ford accident, you know, where his um, leg gets crushed in the door of the millennium. Yep, people kind of forget about that one. Yeah, and they had to stop shooting actually for actually. You, you know, when when you think about it, just enough happened with uh, the Force Awakens that that you know they really have been stepping on rakes the whole time. It's just ended <laughs> yeah. up working out for them. Right, exactly. And J.J. Um, Abrams says that accident with um, Harrison Ford was probably the actually a blessing, the best thing that could have happened to them because they had to stop production for a bit and it gave them time to collect themselves and work on the script a little more. And then when they jumped back into it, they were able to do things with the other characters. So, yeah, that, that happened. So I'm guessing that by the time he gets to episode nine, He's going to have a more complete script. He's going to have, they're going to have, you know, that arrow that you want to shoot, that target where you want to end, you know, where you want to stick that landing. And, and, and hopefully he can pull that off. To me, I think my greatest concern with Abrams doing the movie is, and this is, again, just the film nerd in me is his uh, cinematography has gotten really dark lately. Remember we were talking about this a few shows back where The Force Awakens, you look at the color palette on that um, uh, in that film, and to me, the color palette, the you know, the dark tones, the reds, the warm, it felt very Temple of Doom-ish to me, you know, because J.J. Uh, Abrams is a total Spielberg, you know, clone. Yeah. And if I remember correctly from uh, that conversation, I liked the color palette, but, you know, I, yeah, I can never remember what yeah. I said. I'm hoping, though, with uh, the Force Awakens, uh, the For not the Force Awakens, with whatever they call the last episode, you know, after The Last Jedi, because even looking at um, how um, Ryan Johnson's um, shots are in the trailers, 
the, 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 it looks very different. You know, if you tell me, you look know, the, the the cinematography, the the color palette, everything. It looks, it just looks different. So th- there's not going to be that consistent look that we're accustomed to with all the movies, like we've seen in the classic trilogy or in the prequels. You know, there was always something about them where Lucas consciously said we these need to look like um, Flash Gordon serials. So the, all the movies have to have like a similar you know, similar um, look to them. But, you know, Force Awakens just went off on its own direction. And The Last Jedi looks like it's going to go in its direction, too. So these movies are going to have kind of um, an odd feel to them when you try to put them up with the whole, with the other movies in the saga. Yeah, especially if the, if the last one ends up looking just like The Force Awakens after you sort of departed from it a little bit. Yeah. So I'm hoping that maybe Abrams decides to go maybe like more of a Last Crusade type look. <laughs> I just saw Indiana Jones and Last Crusade the other night. I watched it again. I was just in the mood. It's like one of my I forgot how good that movie is. But when you compare it to the other Indiana Jones movies, it's probably the lightest of all of them. You know, the you know, it's bright. It's cheerful. When you look, even when you get to the part where Indy's in the in the in the 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 booby trapped area where you had to get to the Holy Grail, even that coloring doesn't look so gloomy and dark like let's say Temple of Doom or Raiders did. So I'm hoping maybe yeah, Raiders yeah. especially like it gets progressively darker. I would say yeah, way darker. So I'm hoping that Abrams goes. You know what? This is supposed to be the victorious end of the of the saga. We're gonna bring it up a bit. We're gonna lighten it up a bit, and then and go from there. Well. You think it's you think it's going to be the victorious end of the saga, but you know, won't you be surprised at the end when it turns out Luke's been in purgatory the whole time? <laughs> it's all been a dream in um, in Chewbacca's brain, or in, in Han Solo's. Uh, 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 he's still in carbonite. You know, Han Solo's still in carbonite, and it's all been a dream in his head. Um, the, the, the other thing too is speaking of Ron Howard you know I have this feeling it was really a timing thing because if if things work out with Lord and his partner on, on the Han Solo movie I have a feeling Kathleen Kennedy's calling Ron Howard to do episode 9 I could definitely see that yeah it's just uh, you know obviously Ron Howard probably has other projects uh, in the works. And so, uh, you know, it's not like he could, you know, if it's not like he could drop projects to do both movies and they had already called him. So, you know, that's why you should always uh, uh, my my friend Gary Meyer says never fire somebody unless you've got somebody in the hotel across the street that's just as good as them. Uh, You know, always, always keep these things in mind. (laughs) Hotels, huh? All right. So, what if they're at the Trump? No, let's not go there. No. <laughs> but so, yeah, it, uh, to me, it just seems like a timing thing. And um, I, I don't know. Again, it's a safe choice. It was a safe choice, Jay. Uh, and it's like uh, the thing that killed me is because. You know, when there was this there was this bit online where people were kind of like at this point, sort of like um, lobbying for female director for uh, uh, episode nine. And there were folks going, oh, why does it have to be a female director? Why can't it just be the best, the best director out there, be the most qualified? Okay, well, then uh, Kathleen Bigelow will come in and direct a Star Wars movie. (laughs) 
Ah, she would have been great. I think Catherine Brigelow would have been awesome. I think uh, Patty Jenkins would have been awesome. Um, I, oh, man, you know, go. I don't. I, I, she she would have said no. I'm pretty sure she would have said no because this isn't this isn't her thing. She's more like a documentary type. But Penelope Spheris, have her do one. The thing about Penelope Spheris though is that you know, and she's done blockbusters. You know, she did Wayne's World. Hey, you, you, know? you know what? They've got to have news uh, in the galaxy far, far away. How about she does a a Star Wars mockumentary where it's like a news crew <laughs> just following everything. You know. Follow, follow uh, Matt, the radar tech technician, you know, in there. But um, so, so, but so when they were lobbying, then people complain. Well, why does it have to be women? Why can't it be the most qualified? Then they dropped J.J. Abrams, and then they went, Oh, it had to be J.J. Abrams. Oh, why do we have to get him again? I go, Well, you, look, he's qualified. You know, J.J. Abrams is quite qualified. He did, he did the first, the first one, and it made a billion dollars. What are you complaining about now? So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nerds. well, I, I'm yeah. sure, I'm sure Disney's not complaining about it. You know, God, like, like if 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 I hate a movie, I'm not going to say, well, I guess it made a billion dollars, so I must have been wrong. I'm still going to say, <laughs> yeah, I really hated that movie. You know, this cracks me up. When you think that Disney has already recouped their investment in Lucasfilm, they've already done it. That is funny. Yeah. You know, they paid $4 billion for it, and they've already made it. They made it all back, like, within the first two years. Oh, my God. So, anyway. Uh, Ron Howard, I'm I'm, I'm hoping to see, um, you know, how this, again, the untitled Han Solo movie, they keep calling it untitled Han Solo movie, which is supposed to be coming out, like, really soon. You know, it's supposed to be coming out in May of 2018, not December, like like all the Star oh, Wars I, movies that's, have been. That's clearly going to. It's clearly going to be moved to December, right? I mean, there, there's there's just no way. Yeah, I guess you know, but it was supposed to come out in May, and because um, they've already announced that Episode Nine is coming out in December. Yeah, I, and I'm surprised. I'm literally surprised that they didn't announce that at the same time, or announce it that you know when uh, Ron Howard took over. Well, since he's got to clean up the mess of uh, the the other directors, it's going to take a little while. So we'll just move that to uh, to December. Yeah. Well, I think um, the 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 one progressive thing about. Um, the untitled Han Solo movie is that it's the first former cast member of the Andy Griffith show to direct a Star Wars movie. So it, clearly, if we were looking to check boxes on this franchise too, that that's uh, that's what happened. I, you know, I thought for sure it was going to be uh, it was going to be Henry Winkler. But, uh, you know, I, I guess oh, that, oh, that would have been oh, Henry Winkler. People forget what a great director he was. Come on. Night shift. You, you know what? I. Uh, I, I heard actually an interview with Henry Winkler, and uh, so like I, I'm listening to this to this interview, and I didn't know who it was, and he's talking about like North Korea, and he's he's going into into this, and I'm like, who is this analyst they're talking to? He's great, like he really knows his stuff. And then the host goes, Henry Winkler joining us this morning. I'm like, what? <laughs> The Fonz? The Fonz is an a- expert on North Korea? <laughs> hey. Wait, first of all, okay, I'm glad he, I'm glad he, he, he's aware of what's going on in the world and everything and, and is informed, but, but I, okay, you have an interview with Henry Winkler and you end up asking him about North Korea. 
I, I don't understand how that happens, but he he's answered every question about Happy Days and Arrested Development that he can. He, so, he'll do know. anything to avoid a comment or snarky remark about jumping the shark. Jumping the shark, exactly. One thing that uh, will never jump the shark is the Radio Misfits podcast network, uh, where uh, you know we have uh, we have Dan McNeil. He's uh, he's just joined the team and uh, he's he's humming along. And he he did something uh, uh, that I thought was uh, was really great. And I, I don't think I mentioned this uh, last week uh, in his first episode. I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to this yet, Elliot. Uh, but he he did uh, drop a lot of uh, a, a lot of bombs on the radio business, uh, but he talked about sports first, and I appreciated that because you know he did he didn't name names, but at, at least he he gave people what they were actually going there for because there's like a dozen people who are going to care about the radio stuff, but he talked about sports first and then got to that so. You know, it's almost like he's a broadcast professional and knows what he's doing. <laughs> well, he's dropped bonds everywhere, so. He has. So uh, so he's up and going. The Minutia men are still going strong. Uh, millennial and dad, now they're actually, like, bringing in other millennials and parents, which it, it just adds to the delightful awkwardness. And then, of course, uh, we also have the dishing bitches. The dishing bitches who we've been teasing this for weeks, but I have actually been in touch with them. And uh, we are planning to make the hundredth episode of Geek Counter Geek to be a crossover episode with Dishing Bitches. So it's gonna we want it to be the hundredth episode if we can make it work. If we can't, it'll be the hundred and first episode, and then like we can kick off the next hundred episodes with a crossover. But I, um, I, yes. I like that idea a lot, and, yeah. and uh, I will say that uh, you know today as we we're getting to record this, getting ready to record this, I saw the uh, news that Linda Hamilton. Is is actually going to be in the uh, in the new Terminator reboot, the latest Terminator reboot that's actually like with James Cameron and everything. And uh, so I, th I think that uh, you know when we're when we're trying to steer that conversation in sort of a geeky way, uh, that might be a good thing to bring up and maybe uh, discuss the you know discuss the Wonder Woman and uh, and Sarah Connor uh, thing that we, that we talked about last week. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sure they're going to love that. And, and, you know, because, again, those gals can be pretty geeky. So I'm, I'm trying to remember. Are we talking about are we doing um, um, are we going to say dishing geeks? Are we going to say geek counter bitch? Um, are we going to I don't know how we want to what we want to call it. So, you know, I, I kind of like geek counter bitch. That, that works. Geek counter, geek counter bitches. So that would be fun. That'd be fun. Um, so, yeah, but it is in the works. They are ready to do it. They, we just need to figure out uh, the time to get both our crews together. You know, that's it's not just, hey, let's do this. It's, hey, let's do this. But, oh, wait, your schedule's like this. My schedule's like that. We got to find a place where we can record. You know, oh, are we going to get someone Skyped in from here? Or are we going all to somebody's studio? Blah, blah, blah. Will there be booze involved? If I have any say so, there will. I, I would assume so yeah <laughs> yeah so that, that that should be fun and of course uh, uh whatever we end up calling that thing uh, a geek counter uh, geek counter pitches uh, 
uh, at whatever whatever title we come up with for that episode. Uh, it will be at this one too. Brought to you by uh, headphones and accessories from Tweet Audio. They have key features like eight colors and styles, mic'd, non-mic'd versions. Uh, they're designed to sound great for music and talk. They have uh, a noise-reducing design. Noise-reducing design. Sorry, uh, limited lifetime warranty. And uh, you can get them at tweakedaudio.com and use the discount code GCG at checkout for 33% off and free worldwide shipping. The, co- the code is not uh, case sensitive anywhere in the world. Uh, China, uh, Mongolia, any, anywhere you go, you can get it uh, free worldwide shipping at uh, tweakedaudio.com. And uh, Z- Zambia, you can go to Z- they can go to Zambia as well. Is that, that the was, is that, that the country that, that Donald Trump made up? Yeah, that he made up. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Oh, and I have I, I, for those uh, for for folks who you know who think that we're just plugging this stuff. You know, I, I've been checking out the tweaked audio stuff. I've been on their site. They have a lot of really cool designs. Um, you know, the 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 price points, the price ranges on their headphones and earbuds. Um, they go different levels. So you know, they have some nicer ones. They have some really really nice ones and some more affordable ones. They have the uh, Bluetooth wireless uh, headphones, the kind that, you know, like the DJ style headphones. So you can find, you know, something that you'll get into um, at Tweaked Audio. So I was thinking about this, uh, Elliot, uh, this week. Uh, uh, we, we had a couple of really big space stories. First, there was uh, Cassini, uh, which uh, which took a, a swan dive into Saturn. And did you know why they uh, actually decided to? Uh, have it crash into Saturn rather than just leaving it up there? Well, they didn't want it to run into the rings, right? They didn't want it to do anything that would um, disturb the rings. So. Well, it, it it wasn't specifically the rings because they actually they actually did that earlier because they weren't worried okay. about it disrupting the rings. So they actually put it on a on an orbit that was inside, you know, between the rings mm-hmm. and the planet. But that was uh, earlier. The reason they actually had it crash into the planet is because uh, on two of the moons, they believe that there's liquid water and where there's liquid water, there could be life. And if they ran out of fuel in Cassini, which was going to happen pretty soon, um, you know, there's a possibility they could end up crashing into one of them. And, uh, you know, one day we find life and we think this is great and everything, but it turns out that it's actually just microbes from Earth. So they want to make sure that that didn't happen. We didn't want to contaminate the moons or start like some sort of alien invasion. Because you, you know um, that, hey, there's a there's a, a idea for a sci-fi novel. There it is. And um, I'm telling you, I know there were all these things about, you know, I know you posted on our Facebook page, you know, the, the Geek Counter Geek Facebook page, the little bit with, uh, this, you know, the... Um, the 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 co- Spock's coffin, you know, the little image of that with with your clever little quote of all, you know, Cassini of all the souls I've met. Cassini's was the most human, okay. and and a couple of folks got a little chuckle from that. But I, I'm sorry, I kept thinking the Godfather. I kept going, do of all of all the probes that go out there to possibly contaminate Saturn's moons. Another thought, it will be Cassini. (laughs) (laughs) 
I've been, I've been working on my brand though. It, it, it shows. It, it really does. Uh, so, in, in addition to Cassini, uh, NASA had also sent uh, a, a bunch of people to Antarctica to uh, basically live in a. Oh no, it wasn't uh, Antarctica. It was Hawaii uh, to live in a crater in a tent for eight months. Uh, to simulate uh, going to Mars and and wasn't it a volcanic crater? Yeah, it it yeah. was, and they they did that for the yeah. moon too. Except they didn't like yeah. send people to live there for months at a time. <laughs> they just had them, you know, walk around and simulate a a moonwalk in in the crater. Here they actually had mm-hmm. them living in in this crater for eight months. Uh, first of all, uh, they must have uh, gone. Uh, they must have left their tent taken one look at the news and said, hey, can you can you send us back? <laughs> you know, and the thing that kills me, like, they were doing that whole thing, and you hear about it eight months later, and I like to hear what's, I'm like, why aren't we televising this, uh, you know, like a reality show, like that stupid Big Brother show? Because I could care less about Big Brother, but oh my God, I want to see these biodome folks, you know? I mean, what is more fascinating than scientists living in a volcanic crater? Yeah, who would want to see that? Like, like that's where NASA drops the ball because they could totally, uh, they could totally make some money sponsoring that. Yeah, you'd be like, oh, let's do this thing, you know, let's show what it's like, and then it'll be like science, you know, instead of you know science fiction, it's science reality TV. You know, look at that! I just branded something. I just, I need to copyright that. I, I think that's going to be our, our new series on Netflix. Yeah, science reality TV. Uh, the, the real fake world. <laughs> no, the fake real world. The, the fake real no. world. I like that. So Something like that. You know, it, it's one thing to, to sign up for, for this because, you know, if you're one of these people, you know exactly when you're, when you're going to be done with this. And you also know that if, if, if you you know hurt break your leg or something uh they're literally going to send in a helicopter and get you out of there immediately so you know like i i don't look at that and and actually actually see that as a very realistic uh you know i i know you can learn things from that but but at the same time like it's yeah, you know, it just doesn't seem like a realistic analog of of being on another planet but you know it got me thinking so when you look at like every movie or even uh, I don't think there's been really any TV shows about living on Mars, but has there been one that has ended well? Because you could go old school and you could say like Conquest of Space, the, the commander goes nuts in that. Uh, Red Planet has all sorts of issues. Uh, John Carter was just a big steaming pile, but, you know, really that, that ended up having a war in it, too. Uh, the Martian, he obviously gets stranded and don't get me started on Mars needs moms. <laughs> well, let's see. Total recall had was kind of okay. I mean, I guess that's a happy ending. Yeah. Kind of. And then the Martian Chronicles, right? Well, yeah, but everybody on earth died in the Martian Chronicles. Yeah, but I mean, but it's okay for Mars, right? I mean, people are living on Mars. That's true. The, uh, the people that are left, it, it's not it's not so bad for them. But, I mean, you know, let, let's, you know, like, I, I would have a problem, like, leaving uh, leaving everybody behind, you know, my family and friends and everything. So, as much as I would, I would like the adventure of going to Mars, I don't think I could sign up for that. Um, but, 
seriously, it has never ended well. And you got to look at pop culture as, as a guide to reality, don't you? I mean, come on. Well, let's see. Um, what are the Marshall? Okay, John Carpenter had that Mars movie. I don't know how that one ended. Hey, and they uh, live, were they Martians too? Uh, I don't think I don't we think ever they knew. Were, they were aliens, but I don't think they were Martians. Mars attacks, but that's them coming here. Uh, man. So what you're what you're telling me is, is that if we want to go to Mars, we need like some happy, cheerful Mars movies to convince us it'll work. Uh, pretty much, that's what I'm getting at. So if we, you know, if I want to go on a cruise, I shouldn't watch like the Poseidon Adventure or Titanic. The preceding was a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Find our other great shows on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at RadioMisfits.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Cabotron.